talking about a word today that is difficult. It's the word suffering. And maybe you didn't expect to have a heavy Sunday morning. Maybe you thought this would be a day a little bit lightweight, a little bit funny. I don't know, springtime, but we're going to hit it pretty hard today. And we need to because we've got to embrace things the way they are. We have to embrace life the way it is. We have to embrace God's word the way it is. And the reality is that suffering is such a normal part of our life. It's so prevalent. It is inescapable. It happens to everybody. We, we need to become somewhat expert at this subject because we're gonna go through seasons of suffering. Some people live lifestyles of suffering. It's just part of the human condition. Have you suffered? How have you suffered? And how has it changed you? And for those of you who haven't suffered, and I have to be very honest with you, we've gone through some hardships, but never anything I would consider to be suffering. So how are we prepared to go through suffering that inevitably will happen? I have the privilege of walking alongside hundreds, maybe over time, thousands of people who suffer intensely. How can I be further equipped and how can you be further equipped to come alongside people who suffer? Suffering is normal. Suffering is common. We don't like the word, but we experience it in so many ways, not just personally in our lives and people around us, but even globally. There is the suffering of abuse. There's the suffering of war, the suffering of injustice, the suffering of prejudice, the suffering of crime, the suffering of loss and grief, the suffering of poverty, especially with children, and the suffering of loneliness. We experience all these things, and and I know sometimes it's easier to say, ah, I'm not going to deal with that today. But then when we or somebody we love experiences suffering, then we really have to be prepared. And we should be prepared now. Why not be prepared now? Why not prepare ourselves today through the power of God's word and the power of our, uh, of our, of our communion together as followers of Jesus Christ to equip each other, to help each other, and to equip ourselves for inevitably what will happen. God hates suffering. Something that is very obvious. God hates suffering. In Isaiah 1, he says, Woe to this sinful world. Woe to this sinful world. A people whose guilt is great. A brood of evildoers. Children given to corruption. They've forsaken the Lord. They've turned their backs on him. Why should you be disciplined anymore? Why do you persist in rebellion? Your whole head is injured. Your whole heart is afflicted. From the sole of your foot to the top of your head, there is no soundness, only wounds and welts and open sores, not cleansed or bandaged or soothed with olive oil. Your country is desolate, your cities burned with fire, your fields are being stripped, your land laid waste. And Isaiah 1, Isaiah is a very um, long book about the saving work of God, and God begins with a lament about the suffering that he sees in the world. And you could hear God's grief in this lament, and you can almost hear him weeping as he is detailing the pain and the suffering that he is seeing. God calls the suffering of this world open wounds, open wounds, and he says, I hate the wounds of this world. And, and he says, I hate the suffering that people go through. We hate suffering. So we can figure this out together. Let's embrace the world as it is. Let's look at God's word, and let's become a little bit uh, expert on this, this subject of suffering. Let's not just push it aside and say, I'd rather not talk about it. Let's embrace this journey and let's equip each other to really suffer well because it's coming. And let's equip each other to encourage people who suffer so that they can suffer well. And let's tell an incredibly deep and meaningful and powerful story of what God does in the midst of suffering. Many of you know the story of Helen Keller, uh, one who was her whole life both deaf and blind 
And through the encouragement of God and through the encouragement of people around her, she, she worked herself to the point where she got a, a, a college degree, a bachelor's degree, first one who was both deaf and blind to do so. And she spent the rest of her life encouraging others who were suffering. Because suffering does not have to be paralyzing. Suffering doesn't have to be suffocating. Suffering doesn't have to be defeating. defeating. We can overcome, not towards the goal of living a suffering-free life. I want to make that real clear right out front. The goal here is not to manipulate God so that we would have a life free from suffering. That ain't going to happen. Not going to happen. But we're going to embrace this reality that God has the whole world on a journey from suffering to glory. He has us on a journey from suffering to glory. Jesus Christ himself went from suffering to glory. That is the journey we're on. That's the narrative. And so here's the promise of today. There is a full life through suffering. A full life through suffering and a full life beyond suffering. A full life through suffering and a full life beyond suffering. That is is true today. It's available today. And as Helen Keller said, although the world is full of suffering, there is also overcoming. It is full of overcoming. That's going to be our journey today. And that should be the journey of our life through suffering towards overcoming. And so the question of today is how can we resurrect from suffering? How can we resurrect from suffering? For those of you who have gone through suffering and you're feeling the lingering impacts of suffering, how can you find that new life and that full life ahead. For those of you who are suffering right now, whether in in ways that are relatively minor or you've got the weight of heaven and earth against you, it feels like, how can we resurrect from that? How can we overcome that? And for those of us who may not have suffered yet in life, we will, it is inevitable. We don't hope for it. We're not wishing for it. We're not masochists saying, bring it on. No, we'd rather not. But when it comes, how can we be very mature and very prepared to go through it well? couple of things to, to think about today. First, and this is probably the hardest, we have to realize that suffering is normal and seemingly random. This is a hard one to take. Suffering is normal and seemingly random. A few weeks ago, our own family was faced with um, some medical tests that did not go particularly well, and all of the arrows were pointing toward a diagnosis that would be very difficult, and it was around my wife in particular. And, and of course, the doctors were on vacation at just the wrong time, and so the final diagnosis was not coming in for a matter of really two weeks of just waiting. I mean, you can imagine this very difficult waiting period, and, and every day just resting through the what-ifs, you know, the what-ifs. And probably at the worst day, uh, my wife looked at me, I will never forget this, it was in our bathroom, And she looked at me and she said this. She said, it could just be our turn. And I was so very proud of her in that moment. That's one of the most mature things I have ever heard in my life. I'm almost always impressed by my wife, but this was like one of the top. It could just be our turn. That is so mature because suffering happens. It happens to everyone. It is normal and random. So if suffering happens to them, why wouldn't it happen to us, right? We can try to find all the mystical connecting of the dots. Well, suffering happens to bad people and it's punishment and judgment. We can try to bring some reason to suffering, but I'm just telling you the reality is there is no rhyme or reason behind who suffers and when they suffer and why they suffer. It is normal, but suffering is random. It is random. And at some point, it's just our turn. How healthy and mature is that? But I'm telling you, that's uncomfortable for a lot of people because if we have this mentality, well, it's just our turn, not that that's flippant at all. I mean, believe me, we experienced all of the 
the fear and, and the wrestling through the what ifs. And by the way, she, she's fine. We've got a little minor surgery coming up, but she's fine. But our time is coming. It will be our turn. And how do we, how do we live a life that is so grounded that we are not paralyzed by suffering, broken by suffering, overcome by suffering? But a lot of this is, is uh, really difficult because we want to have those easy, thin religious formulas that will try to get us away from suffering or make sense of suffering. So here's a couple of religious formulas that a lot of people believe. A lot of people have, have this understanding that God is a good God, suffering isn't good, therefore I shouldn't suffer. Right? Kind of makes sense. God's a good God, which he is. Suffering isn't good, which is not. Therefore, I shouldn't suffer. And I, I think most people... I would say, especially in the West, most people have this understanding. God's good, suffering bad, I shouldn't suffer. And when suffering happens, we're like, why is this happening? It's such an injustice. Well, it is unjust, but it does happen to everybody. None of it makes a lot of sense. And what are we going to do in the face of it? There's another religious formula. When suffering does hit, here's how we, we want to we go. Uh, my job now is to be a good person, to pray right so that... I'll be free from suffering. It's another religious formula. I'm suffering, I'm hurting, and so what do I need to do? Well, I gotta get God to fix this, so I'm gonna be a good person and I'm gonna pray right. And when I pray, I know what I have to do. I have to pray in faith, I have to believe because the power of my belief is gonna wake God up and get his attention and unleash kind of power, and I'm gonna use the right word. I'm gonna say, in Jesus' name, I'm gonna claim you know, kind of health and healing and prosperity. I'm gonna you know, pray for hedges. I don't know what those hedges are. I'm praying hedges of protection calling out diseases by name, whatever it is, right? Give me the formula. I'm going to be a good person, pray right, and then some people will say, then God promises healing and prosperity. It's not true. It's not true. Just simply, plainly, it's not true. It doesn't work. And the problem is when we impose these really thin religious formulas to try to make sense of suffering and get control of suffering, when we impose those on people, we actually make the suffering worse. Because if we say, hey, you know, God's a good God, suffering isn't good, therefore you should, shouldn't suffer. When we suffer, now we're questioning God's goodness. Or you put another religious formula, when we suffer, I'm supposed to be a good person and pray right, and then God promises to heal me. When that doesn't happen, either God failed or I failed. And when suffering gets to the unthinkable, that's nearly unsurvivable that God would fail or we would fail. These formulas don't work and these formulas make suffering vastly worse, vastly worse. The better solution is just to embrace reality, embrace reality. There's so much health when we embrace reality and that health is in God's word. Reality is in God's word. One of the things I love about the Bible is it's real. So here's some doses of reality for you. Job 9.22, it's all the same, both the blameless and the wicked are destroyed. Pretty simple, it's reality. How about we put that on the billboard, see what happens. <laughs> Psalm 73, 13, surely in vain I've kept my heart pure and I've washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been afflicted. So you see David in Psalm 51, he says, boy, I blew it and I'm suffering consequences and I get it. So now he keeps his way pure and he's still being afflicted. It's just random. Ecclesiastes 8.14, we took a fun month through Ecclesiastes. There is something else meaningless that occurs on the earth. The righteous who get what the wicked deserve and the wicked who get what the righteous deserve. It's just reality. 
Malachi 3, certainly evildoers prosper. And even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. It's just reality. The formulas don't work. The religious formulas and platitudes don't work. Well, what about in the life of Jesus? Certainly the religious formulas work with the life of Jesus, right? Let's look at Hebrews 5. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petition with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. This is Jesus, right? Is Jesus kind of in the religious formula? Is he doing good? Is he praying right? Okay, that's an understatement. He's the fullness of God in human flesh. He's the perfect with a capital P. He's the perfect. And is he praying right? Well, he's praying to his heavenly father as the only begotten son. He is pray, praying fervently with petitions and cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard. He was heard. God the Father heard him because of his reverent submission. Now, here's the perfect. Praying perfectly to his perfect and good heavenly father. Did Jesus get what he prayed for? What's the answer? He did not get what he prayed for. Next verse. Son, though he was, the only begotten son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. God the Father looked at the perfect life of Christ, heard the perfect prayers of Christ. The good heavenly Father was being prayed to from his only begotten son about to go through the fire like none of us could even imagine. Not just the cruelty and torture of the cross, but bearing the sins and the shame of the world upon himself. And God the Father said no to the prayer of his son and moved him forward to suffering. If the formula doesn't work for Jesus, it ain't working for you and it ain't working for me and it's not working for the person we're talking to who's really going through it. There's got to be something better, right? The reality is the world is utterly unjust, so much so that even the perfect suffered. So we've got to get kind of over this idea that we could somehow manipulate God so that we could have a world that's kind of free from suffering. We've got to get over that. We've got to get over the reality that there's things that we could do in our life, you know, that would sort of earn God's blessing so that when suffering is passing through, it will pass over us. We've got to kind of get over that idea and embrace the reality that the journey we're on is complex. We can't connect all the dots as to why certain people suffer and why certain people prosper. We've got to own the reality as it is. You kind of quit this mystical connecting of the dots because it does a lot of harm. A asking questions and trying to find answers, force answers as to why they're suffering here. Well, let's, let's answer it by this mystical solution over here and let's force those together. It doesn't do any good, let's embrace reality. I can tell you why suffering happens. There's been a lot written about it. I can tell you why suffering happens. I haven't read an article uh, yet that says what I'm gonna tell you right now. So I'm gonna give you brand new information. You ready? Never before uttered. I know why earthquakes hit. I know why earthquake hit Haiti in 2010, killing over 160 people. I know some moron Christians said it was judgment against their voodoo. But I'm going to tell you why that earthquake struck. Because sometimes tectonic plates shift. That's why that earthquake hit. Nothing more, nothing less, no mystical explanation. I know why so many young people died of influenza this last season, including two in our own church, young, healthy people, because it was type A that hits hard, and when the bacterial infections hit, sometimes healthy bodies can mask the symptoms when sepsis sets in. That's why so many people died of influenza. 
I know why a local young man recently lost his life when a drunk driver hit him head on because he was driving and he was drunk. Nothing more, nothing less, no mystical explanation. I know why a 24-year-old and a 15-year-old died when a tire separated from a vehicle coming the opposite direction and the tire jumped into their windshield, killing them both. I know exactly why that happened. Because in this world, freak accidents happen. Nothing more, nothing less, no mystical explanation. I know why a father of three young boys was recently diagnosed with an incurable brain tumor. Because the human body is imperfect, fragile, and susceptible to genetic and environmentally caused disease. Nothing more, nothing less. No mystical explanation. I know why a young man, Mr. Carr, was paralyzed from a shooting during a street crime in Central California. I know why that happened. Because horrible people do horrible things to other people. Nothing more, nothing less. No mystical explanation. Suffering is normal and seemingly random. How does that make you feel? Right now, how does that make you feel? For some of you, you have found some kind of comfort in religious and mystical formulas. Even though you know they really don't work, we still kind of hold on to those things because we've got to somehow make sense of suffering and we've got to somehow believe that we're in some control so that suffering will maybe miss our family or miss my life because I'm good, because I'm religious, because I pray right. And so this truth might be very uncomfortable for you. For a lot of people, and a lot of people have experienced incredible freedom today as they're finally able to take a breath and to say, oh, wow, reality, this is reality, right? And I can, and I can finally embrace reality. And I'm telling you, embracing reality will give us freedom and give us strength to not only comfort each other, but to brace ourselves for when tragedy strikes. We will walk through with maturity, not in the weakness of religious formulas, but maturity and strength and power because we've embraced reality, God's reality that he talks about in his word. Freedom will come if we embrace the reality that suffering is normal, inevitable, and seemingly random, and every once in a while, it's our turn. Not by some mystical story out there that has you know, deep and profound necessarily meaning or because we deserve it because of our sin or because God wants to you know, uh, shape us in ways that are just gonna happen by crushing us. There may be no rhyme or no reason. Sometimes it's just our turn. And embracing that is so, so healthy. Secondly, God is in our suffering. God is in our suffering. There's this wonderful uh, theme in God's word that God is uniquely present in the stories of people who suffer. Uniquely present. Now, I want to be very clear here. God hates suffering. He hates suffering. And we see that throughout the Bible. In fact, God gives the law, you know, the first five books of the Bible, the Ten Commandments, God gives the law to alleviate suffering in the world. God didn't give us the law so that we would be able to earn, you know, blessing from him. God gave us the law so that we would treat each other well, treat each other with kindness. God laments at the barbarianism of tribal civilizations and says, I'm going to give you my law. I'm going to give you order. And I'm going to give you a law that says, this is how you treat people well. And if you don't treat people well, there's got to be some consequences here so that, so that there is civility and that there is kindness in human beings. He gave us the law as an act of grace to alleviate suffering. We also know by God's laments throughout the scripture that he hates suffering and he is looking forward to walking us through suffering to glory. 
Then we see the coming of Christ, the fullness of God, and he reveals so much about the heart of God as Jesus spends his life alleviating suffering around him by feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, providing for the poor, visiting the prisoners, speaking up for the helpless. This is the life of Jesus. So we see in the life of Jesus the heart of God to alleviate suffering, to battle against suffering. And in the midst of all that, the Old Testament law, God's laments of the Old Testament, the life and ministry of Jesus, and the ministry of the apostles, we don't see any answers in God's word as to specifically why suffering happens in any specific instance. In fact, we look to the the book of Job, right? The book of Job is this epic tale, very long epic tale about suffering. And uh, I'll spare you many hours of, of reading by simply summarizing it like this. Job says, I am suffering. His friends say, well, it's because you sinned. Job says, I don't think I did. Then God says, look at the animals. End of the book. That's Job. That's odd. God doesn't answer Job's questions. He lost everything. He lost his family, lost his finances, lost his health, lost his reputation. He loses everything. And he's begging God for answers. And God says, look at all these cool animals I made. And that's the end of the book. If God's not connecting dots for Job, he's not connecting dots for us. He's just, there's a mystery of this life and there's a whole profound journey from suffering to glory. I am taking you through that, right? I'm taking you through that. And as I take you through that, I'm here and I care. Did you get that? I'm here and I care. Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. He's with us, especially in our suffering, he is with us. And we need to know this, that God never promises to relieve our suffering, never. If anybody says God promises healing, God promises health, God promises wealth, God promises prosperity, they are lying to your face. Now, they might be well-intended. They might actually not believe they're lying. It's not true. It is not true. He never promises to relieve our suffering, but he does promise, back up, to comfort us and to strengthen us in our suffering. He promises to comfort us and strengthen us in our suffering. He says, and I'm gonna comfort you two ways. I'm gonna comfort you two ways. The first is by my presence. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our troubles. He is present with us. He is the Father of compassion, that's his name. He's the God of comfort, that's his name. When we are suffering, when we're in the middle of the fire, God wants us to know he's with us. He's not condemning us. He's not judging us. He's with us and he's compassionate towards us. We look at the life of Christ and we know God hurts with us. He empathizes with us. He weeps with us. He's right there. Now, again, I have the privilege of walking alongside so many people who suffer. And most of the time they don't feel God's presence. And that's okay. We may not feel God's presence in the middle of the fire, and that is okay. He says, you know, maybe if you don't feel my presence, you can still trust my presence. I made you a promise. I'm with you. I will never leave you, never forsake you. My heart is with you. My heart breaks with you. I weep with you. Just believe it if you don't feel it. But if you don't feel it, I'm going to comfort you in another way. God comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Not only are we comforted by God directly, but we're comforted by each other. We're comforted by each other. Very often people don't feel the presence of God, 
But then we surround ourselves with human flesh. We surround ourselves with friends and family who have the spirit of God. We have the spirit of God. So when we come alongside somebody who's suffering, God is right there. And as we come alongside somebody who is suffering, we give them kind words. We give them kind hugs. We shed tears with them. We, we bear their grief and grieve with them. And we make them a meal and we buy them groceries and we clean their house. And when we do that as friends and family around people who are suffering, it is God who is there by his spirit in a very real way, embracing them, crying with them, feeling their pain. It is God who is buying them groceries and God who is cooking the meals. And it's God who's cleaning their house. And he's doing that through us. He's doing that through us. His suffering is normal and random but there is comfort and there is strength found in God's caring presence and the caring presence of one another. It's a profound journey. Third, Jesus suffered. We can just sit with that one for a while. Jesus suffered. Our entire faith is based upon suffering. The symbol of our faith is what? Cross, giant one out there. It's our 1969 cross. A giant one in the central campus. It was our 1978 cross. And a giant one that was built by Gary Berry and, and a crew here in 2005 as we ordained this campus for God's purpose. Crosses are everywhere. A bunch of you are wearing crosses. Some of you had them, have them tattooed on you. The cross is the center of our faith. It's the symbol of our faith. If anyone should know how to suffer well and how to suffer with maturity and how to have a good, strong you know, thought process and lifestyle around suffering, it should be us. Our Savior was a suffering Savior. That's who he was. So for us to somehow expect that we're immune from suffering is kind of silly because we're following the suffering Savior. And our life is his life. Not that we suffer more, but we simply follow the one who suffered. And through his suffering brings incredible things, brings forgiveness, brings love, brings, brings ultimate glory, right? Jesus suffered. First Peter 2, to me, is just a beautiful explanation when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. We follow Jesus. He entrusted himself to his heavenly father. He prayed to his heavenly father, I do not want to walk through the cross. The perfect son of God prayed perfect prayers. God, I do not want to walk through the cross, yet he entrusted himself. Not my will, but yours be done. Jesus gave himself to the father and he says, I want my story to contribute to your story, God. Whatever you wish to do with my life, whether my life's full of prosperity or calamity, God, I entrust myself to you. We don't pursue suffering. We do not pursue calamity. We fight against it. But sometimes there's a story to tell through our life, maybe through a season of suffering. Next verse. When, him, when he himself bore our sins, he bore our sins on his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you've been healed. That's the narrative of God's word. That's the story God is telling, that there is healing through wounds, that there is salvation through suffering. The whole narrative of God's word and the whole personal work of Jesus Christ is that through suffering, God will take us to glory. That's the entire story. Let's embrace that story. Let's embrace that story. That suffering is just part of this world. 
It is normal and seemingly random that God is in the middle of that suffering, comforting us, and that we follow Jesus through his suffering and into eternal glory. In fact, the way back from painful chaos of this world to the calm tranquility of God is through the path of suffering. That's God's design. Finally, suffering has a story to tell. Suffering has a story to tell. And this is the story of what God is doing on this earth. And there's, there's three ways to tell the story. Quickly, I'll tell you two ways I think are fairly dysfunctional. And we'll close with something I think is a little bit more uh, mature in terms of how to tell the story of suffering. There are some people who believe that God causes suffering. God causes suffering. So let's just uh, pretend I'm on a sidewalk here. And this is a very busy street, very, very busy street. A bus is coming and God grabs somebody from the sidewalk and throws them in front of the bus. God causes suffering. I'm gonna zap this person, I'm gonna get them, and they're gonna suffer, and God just does it, throws people under the bus. I don't think that's in line with the biblical narrative or the heart of the Heavenly Father. There's a second way to tell the story of suffering, and that is to say that God allows suffering. And this is what most people say. Most people say just very naturally, God allows suffering. That softens it a little bit. Okay, God's not throwing somebody in front of a bus, but if somebody's running in front of a bus, God says, eh, okay, kind of a lot of work to stop you. I'm gonna allow it. I don't see a big moral difference there. And if there's a two-year-old riding a big wheel in your neighborhood, you're not gonna throw that two-year-old in front of a bus. You're not gonna do it. But if that two-year-old was riding a big wheel and you saw him driving down a hill right next to you in front of a bus, pretty sure you're gonna say, hey, bud, you might not wanna do that. To say that God allows suffering means that God is seeing this two-year-old riding his big wheel in front of a bus and going, eh, a lot of work. I'm just going to allow it. It's not much different. There's a third way to tell the story that I think is in line with the heart of the Heavenly Father and I think is more in line with God's Word. And I'm going to tell this to you with a couple of pictures. The first is a picture of a home. And I searched the entire internet to find that picture. That is the greatest living room I just want to go into that picture right now. I mean, warm colors, warm woods, warm fabrics, a warm fire. I just want to be there and just live <laughs> forever. That's God's home, right? God has a home that is warm. God has a home that is inviting. And God's heart is for all of us to be with him in his home. And his home is beautiful. His home is cozy. His home is relational and comfortable and safe. That's the home of God. That's God's heart for us. He wants us to be with him in his home. But he made us in his image. He made us very much like himself. And being made in the image of God means that we have, in large part, the knowledge of God and, and we have some of the drives that want autonomy and want to do our thing and do it our way and we want to be in control and in charge and we want to experience it all. And so Genesis 1 through 11 gives these beautiful stories of, of how humankind left God's home. These wonderful stories of how humankind left God's home. We got up off of this warm, safe living room and we walked out of the house of God, Genesis 1 through 11. And through these stories, we see the heart of that. There was a heart of arrogance, a heart of pride, a heart that says, I want to experience it all. I want to be in charge. I want to be in control. And I want to pursue power. And, and, and I want to pursue money and things. And I want to pursue prosperity. And I will mistreat others for my own benefit. That's the story of humankind. Humankind left the living room, the home of God, and went to the streets. We went to the streets. 
and the streets are harmful, the streets are dangerous. On these streets, there is abuse and crime and disasters and freak accidents, all apart from God's home. We took ourselves there. God didn't cause it. You could even argue we didn't allow it. We're made in his image and we did our thing and we're in this harmful environment. It's this harmful environment of a world apart from God and this world is broken and the suffering of this world happens every day. It is normal and it is seemingly random. But God didn't abandon us. God still loves us. Even though we walked out of his home, he still loves us. And he volleyed messages to the streets. I love you, I forgive you, will you come back home? He even sent his only begotten son to leave his home and to enter our world, to enter our streets. And while Jesus was here in this world, Jesus did some amazing things. He said that God is a heavenly father and he wants you back home. He tried to alleviate suffering around him. And so he helped people, particularly those who were hurt the most. He loved them, he cared for him, he provided for them, he brought them to wellness, all the while pointing the entire world back home. The streets overwhelmed him as mobs of men fueled by every evil religious and political power. They wanted his message stopped. They seized him and they crucified him because they could not tolerate a worldview of forgiveness and love. The streets consumed Jesus Christ, but he rose again and he returned home. But not before leaving behind a community of followers committed to doing what Jesus did. That community of followers is called what? The church. It's us. We are a community of followers. We still live in these streets. We still live in a broken world. We still live in a world that is far from God. We still live in a world full of hurt and suffering that is normal and seemingly random. We still live in this world, but we're committed to the cause of Christ. And so we want to do what Jesus did. We want to tell the world there is a way home. There's a loving heavenly father who wants us back. We can tell stories like Jesus told of the prodigal son of leaving the heavenly father, but the heart of the father never leaves the son and the son can come back to the father at any time and forgiveness and love is free and available to all. We can continue to love people around us the way Jesus did to alleviate the suffering of people around us. We can advance the cause of Christ together. That's who we are. Following Jesus, the suffering servant, and we are continuing the cause of Christ even now. And then you flip to the very last page of the Bible, Revelation 21 and 22, and what do you see? You see a home. Revelation 21 and 22 is about a home. Big one. Established on the earth, 12 doors wide open, and everybody's invited. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation, sitting with God the Father, with the Son, Jesus Christ, unified by the Spirit of God, enjoying his home forever. This path of suffering has a conclusion and it ends in glory. It ends in glory for all of us. But for now, we live in a world on the streets, a world of suffering, and that's the way it is. Maturely, boldly live in this world. Sometimes it just might be your turn, but when it's not your turn, bear the suffering of people around you. Help them out. Let's follow in the path of the suffering Savior who spoke of the love of the Heavenly Father, spoke of the home of the Heavenly Father, but lived in this world as it is, bearing the suffering around him and relieving the suffering around him, all the while knowing that God will be glorified as he takes us from suffering to his eternal home. Let's pray. 
Our God and Father, we thank you for the power and the truth of your word. We thank you for a community like ours, such a mature community here at Rancho that can wrestle through these very difficult concepts. We don't want to cheapen this world and, and cheapen the suffering of others by thin religious platitudes and religious formulas that we know don't work. We want to embrace the world as it is, embrace this story that you have us on. And we know that we live in a world that is far from you and broken. Humankind left your home and there is suffering of all kinds, but thank you that you chose to save instead of condemn, even to the point of sending your son, Jesus Christ, to live among us, to bear every bit of the suffering and decay and brokenness of this world upon himself, even to the point of being consumed by it, swallowed up by it, crucified by this world, all of the suffering and sin of the world placed upon him, and he died for it all. But he rose again and returned to you, his heavenly Father, but left behind your Holy Spirit, left behind your church, fueled by your Spirit to advance the cause of Jesus Christ so we can do exactly what he did and, as he says, even more. We can live in this world with boldness and courage whether things are going well or whether we are suffering. We can bear the suffering of people around us. We can alleviate their suffering. We can cry with them. We can bear their burdens. We can help them in tangible ways, all the while pointing to the love of the Heavenly Father that despite our failures and despite our suffering, you love us and through the suffering Savior, Jesus Christ, you forgive us and you lead us homeward, even to our heavenly home where there will be no crying no mourning, no suffering, no loss, no grief, no abuse, no crime, no injustice, no racism. We look forward to that day. But in the meantime, give us strength and comfort through Jesus Christ, your son. In his name we pray, amen.